Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And before y'all do anything, you need to go subscribe to our YouTube page. We just basically launched this last week. We've been hitting it hard. I think we've certainly averaged more than one video a day. I don't know if we've actually been doing daily uploads or whatever, but a lot of content there. I expect that to continue going for the near future, and y'all should definitely check it out. Wow, hard sell right off the bat from Jerry Thompson. That's that's an aggressive sales pitch. I like it. But uh, yeah, the, the content there is good, I think. I think we're doing a nice job. And it seems like people are really enjoying it. I'm so pleased with how people have responded. And we're already approaching like 3,000 subscribers, which it's, it's really hard to get rolling on YouTube. Oh, yeah. But as you might expect, our fans are literally the best in the entire world. Not and close. basically ran to YouTube and made it. So it's off to a really quite a rousing start. So I want to say thanks to the people who have supported us. And like over in our Discord today, people were thanking us for making the content. It's no, thank you guys for supporting us and letting us do this. Uh, All of our Patreon supporters and even people who just share our content and tell people like, yo, this is a good place to learn about magic. You are what makes stuff like this possible. So this is is all you. We are thankful to you for letting us make this content. Yeah, if people didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. You know, Uh, I want to do things that provides value to the magic players out there. And obviously there are a lot of ways to go about that and and do that. If people have any feedback, obviously we have a lot of ideas for things that we want to do and types of videos that we want to make and stuff. So we have a few things in the works, but if y'all have any feedback, let us know, please, because ultimately what our listeners want to see or consume from us is is what we're going to make. That's what we want to make. So let us yeah. know what you want to see and what would actually help you. Spot on. And thus far, we have deck techs over there. We have gameplay videos. Uh, all my stuff from Fandom Legends has made it up over there. We even did basically an episode of the podcast over there. And if you haven't caught that, you 100% want to, where we broke down the top eight of the first Fandom Legends tournament deck by deck. And uh, people really, really responded to that episode. Yeah, we didn't set out to do a 60-minute YouTube video, but... No, it was supposed to be quick. As it turns out with us, we can talk for a while, uh, which we're kind of doing right now. But yeah, YouTube is going great. Also, website is back online, arenadecklist.gg. For those of you who want to check it out, we have a bunch of free articles up there, and we are also adding to that as time goes on. And again, have a lot of things planned for the website. Maybe not as many as the YouTube channel, but just felt like it was time to actually get working on all of this stuff. I have a little bit of a free time through October and November. So I've been busting my ass and I plan on keeping that going as best as I can. Good stuff. I've been appreciating it. Uh, Even the things that I am not part of making, just getting all these articles from all the talented people who are sharing stuff over on our website, really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's weird because my my job was a, a content creator myself, right? And then I suddenly kind of just became an editor. But that's that's neither here nor there, I suppose. Uh, our world changes very quickly, I've noticed. And we find ourselves in very strange positions that we did not think we were going to have as we keep doing more and more Arita Deckless stuff. Yeah, I have this enormous green screen behind me, which I didn't think would ever be a thing. But here we are. Yeah, I have lost a portion of my office to the green screen. It's just the yeah. way it goes. Uh, what else? 
Oh, a uh, thing that I was going to say was that our, I think our YouTube content is helped along by the fact that you've been absolutely crushing it, Brian. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on, Jerry. I really don't have any explanation. Well, that's not fair. Hold on. I have one explanation. If, if there is one thing I am very good at, at magic and I am very self-critical, I don't try and put myself on the level of the top-notch magic players, but there's something I am very good at. And I do think I'm legitimately world-class at, and it's choosing decks week one. And I think I've done a very good job of that across these first two fandom tournaments, both of which I won. Easy game. And you have another one tomorrow. Is it Thursday? Yes, I will be playing another one tomorrow. Uh, so the if, day the day this podcast goes up, probably. Correct. Just like last time, we talked about it a little bit in advance before we actually played the tournament. You hated my deck choice. I won anyway. But I hated it, I, I hated a lot of things about your deck, and you, you still... I mean, I guess we haven't really talked personally about Golos, but... My list is a little bit smoother. I have fewer ETP tap lands. I like my sideboard better. I also think, or I thought rather, that the Simic decks were going to adapt to the fact that you won the first fandom tournament with the Esper Dance deck, and they didn't really. You still see lists with like two negates or whatever, and that doesn't help your matchup against Golos. It especially doesn't help against Golos the card. And right. my Sim- my Simic deck now has six counterspells in the sideboard, and I have Agents main. You know, like people need to be doing this stuff, and I thought that they would, but you know, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think it matters. I I think the Simic, or excuse me, I think the Bant decks are still favored against Simic, even with your six counterspells, even with your Agent of Treacheries. There's a lot of things that happen over the course of the game where you can be doing all of those things, and at some point, I just get bigger than you do, or. You load your deck up with Disdainful Stroke, I play Teferi, and then you sit there for the rest of the game and do nothing and never get a chance to actually use all these blank cards you bought, brought in. And now your pressure is off because you have a Disdainful Stroke as opposed to a Nissa in your hand, and the game just kind of spirals out of control from that point. So I, I still think Bant is favored against most builds of Simic, maybe the most hateful ones. Things start to turn back in your favor. But on the whole, I've been very pleased with the Bant-Golos matchups against the Simic decks. Let's be real. I'm never going to have a stroke in my hand instead of Anissa because I'm never cutting Anissa against you. But uh, I think that we could do maybe like a YouTube grudge match where clearly, oh, a you battle. know, yeah, we play like three matches or whatever. Obviously, it doesn't mean anything, right? Because it's such a small sample size. But I think that people would like to see that. That would be fun. I would be down for that. Unfortunately, I think schedules are going to be a little bit tight for the next few days. And if yes. the past few days are any indication, this match will probably be irrelevant five days from now because things are changing so, so fast that maybe it doesn't seem like these things track on a week to week basis. Thing is, man, I think that these are the two best decks. And I agree, I agree with you. With you. I, I think so. I think Golos is the best deck. If I were in the standard seat for Philly, I would be playing it. Instead, I'm in the legacy seat, and I don't even get to watch Nick play. You know, we're we're too far away. But he and I have been working on Golos. I've been playing a lot of Golos. You know, that was like my deck of choice uh, at the tail end of last season. You know, basically before Kethis popped up. But right, uh, same. Yeah, Golos is my jam. I love the deck. I think it is very very good. I think it goes over the top of basically every deck in standard, which is huge because uh every deck has kind of like this engine thing where you can't be the smaller mid-range deck unless in Simic's case you have a bunch of disruption you play like a fish game right yeah and Golos is just also 
very good, very consistent, has some of the most busted draws. If you ever draw Growth Spiral, like, good God, your deck is incredible. I'll also say that after you play a bunch with a 28 land deck, it's really hard to go back to like 24, 23 <laughs> land decks and feel that pain again. Especially when you have four once upon a time too. Right. That yeah, helps a lot. 32 virtual lands, sure. Yeah, so Golos is, I, I, I don't know if it's public enemy number one, but it absolutely should be. I have not played against nearly as many mirror matches as I should be, I think, on ladder, but uh, that will likely change after Philly, I would assume. We'll see. We'll see how things shake out in Philly. It's certainly another data point, but again, it's not a hard data point. It's not that 800 person standard tournament where you get a clear winner. And it's the same with these fandom tournaments where there's certainly something to be gleaned from what is doing well, but it's weird how much these two wins have shaped the narrative. And you understand why that's just the way magic works. But I I came out of the first fandom legends tournament that I won with Esper Dance saying I thought Brad had the best deck in the tournament. And his deck was basically the first look at the Simic deck that we had seen. Really streamlined, really beautiful looking deck. I won a really tight three-game set in the semifinals, and he was undefeated up until that point. So things just break a little bit differently, and then it becomes very clear that Simic is top tier. But I think people are coming around to that conclusion. I don't know. There are a lot of questions in our Discord this week about why aren't people accepting Simic as a top tier deck. Do you get the sense that that's happening? Because to me, in all the discussions I'm having, it seems like people are showing proper respect to Simic. I think people look at the deck and they're like, yeah, this deck is good, but I can't tell you how many times I played against it on ladder. It is a very small number. Hmm. It's interesting. I've played it against a, a good amount, but... These are small sample sizes. This doesn't really mean anything. And we have no metagame data to know what percentage of players are playing the Simic decks. So all of this is going to be anecdotal evidence and really not worth anything. You have to just kind of go by buzz. And it's hard to get an accurate sense when that's what you're going by. Yeah, I think people are like, oh, Simic is very good. Obviously, I'm going to go play Sultai nonsense. That is just almost strictly worse. You know, sure. it just seems to be what people are doing right now until there's like a, a quote unquote actual tournament that tells people what they should be playing. But it is tough because, it, like you said, Philly is a team tournament, so you're not necessarily going to get the best look at what is actually great in standard because, you know, maybe the modern and legacy players carry while the standard player just gets beat up all the time. Who knows? But I, I would also assume that like standard will likely be the majority of the camera matches, at least the the first matches, you know, maybe not the backup matches or anything like that. Uh, so if you want to actually watch the game, see how they play out, see what people are doing, see what actually looks good, uh, watching coverage of Philly this weekend where, you know, you're going to be on the mic. So that's another reason to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. it. It seems like a good idea. Yeah. And if I have any input whatsoever, there will be a lot of standard on camera. And I am sure everyone involved with the production agrees. We all know that's what people want to see right now. And we'll get a sense of clarity from that. But I mean, we could just skip that and just tell people what the best decks are. We have a pretty authoritative tier list that we've put together. We reach consensus. We basically agree on this. And I, I think we know what the best decks are right now. I think we know tier one. I think we know tier two. I'm pretty comfortable with this assessment. Yeah. Golos, not close. Number one. That's my read as well. And look, there was a lot of temptation when I was registering for fandom this week to 
play a third archetype. So I could go three for three with three different decks. That's very silly, though. Ultimately, I want to play the best deck every time. And I did register Golos again. Some slight tweaks from my last list. I actually have a functional sideboard this time. Hell I don't know yeah. what it is with me playing these tournaments with non-functional sideboards, because I certainly did it in week one as well. I was not pleased with my Esper sideboard whatsoever. But I think I'm closer to pleased this week. A little bit of tuning, a little bit of tweaking, and Bant Golos keeps getting better and better. And it's just like the Nexus problem in the last format, where there is a definitive best endgame it will invalidate everything else. And if you try and do something just a little bit smaller and you don't have aggression or you don't have a fish style plan like you were talking about with the Simic decks, then you're just going to fall under the unstoppable march of zombies that Field of the Dead is going to create or the 16, 16 crises that'll fly over the battlefield. Something will crush you and Golos will find a way to keep getting larger and larger as the game goes on. Yeah, and even if... Uh, like we've seen different versions of these decks, right? Like even if they aren't necessarily the most well-tuned or whatever, it's like we've seen some Saltai lists with like casualties of war. Uh, we're seeing a decent amount of main deck agent of treacheries now, stuff like that. Even if the Golo stuff doesn't come together or the thing that I like to stress to people is that unmoored ego is not that good is that they can just beat you with other big cards that they have in their deck and just function like some random ramp deck. And that also just beats a bunch of people right now. It absolutely does. And one of the great things about playing the Golos deck is that Golos puts this weird pressure on your opponents where once you cast Golos and it's entered the battlefield and you found whatever land you were looking for, usually Field of the Dead, it's basically done its job as far as you're concerned. That's bridging you to the next point of your game plan. But as far as your opponent concerns, if they do not kill Golos, they might just lose the game on the spot. Yep, And you know you have additional options. Like they can kill your Golos and you'll be like, okay, I'll cast Krasis for six instead and I can live with that. But on their end, it just presents them with a threat that they absolutely have to answer. And you're fine once they do. And that's a really, really nice exchange to get over and over and over. It's also just really big. It has five toughness. It is difficult to kill. There's there's not a lot of things that actually kill it cleanly, at least that are widely played right now. It's just absurd. Yeah, I think the thing that comes up most often is just Oko neutralizing its ability. And, and then you Teferi bounce. Then you Teferi bounce. Yeah, you could find ways around that. So th- that's the thing I love about this Golos deck is you can basically play your way out of any situation. You can get rebuys on so many effects and you get to shape the game the way you want to. And that's what I'm really learning about myself as a player. And it's funny to play this game for 25 years and learn more and more about your play style. And I've always resisted any kind of label to my play style. I don't want to be a control player. I don't want to be a mid-range player. But the thing I'm learning to accept is that I just want to have agency over the shape of the game. I want to be able to dictate how the game's going to be played. And I think Golos does a fantastic job of that. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously there are some scenarios, some metagames where you could get yourself into trouble by trying to adhere to that. Absolutely. You know, sometimes it is best to just play something like Mono Red where maybe you feel like you don't have as much agency because it is a much stronger deck. But in this case, uh, this deck is the best for a lot of different reasons. And it also just fits super well with the things that you and I want to be doing. So it's awesome. Yep. Agreed. So what are the downsides? What are the weaknesses to playing this deck? Well, I want to say at some point 
aggression will punish this deck. I haven't seen it yet, though, and it's quite possible the aggressive setups will just fold too hard to everything else if they're meant to hard punish Golos. I do think the Torbrand decks continue to get better and better. That's a little scary to me. If those decks get well-tuned, they may just be too much for Golos to answer, and they might actually present a threat from the aggressive side. That's basically the thing I really am fearing right now, but everything else, it just feels like, okay, I can find a way to manage this matchup. Obviously, if people get extremely hateful, there's some concern, but I think Golos has good counterplay to most of the hate, and a lot of it is caught up by Veil of Summer. Veil of Summer is excellent against Agent of Treachery. It's good against any kind of counter magic like Disdainful Stroke people are using against you. It's good against Targeted Discard. So all the problems you could potentially face are cleaned up a little bit by Veil of Summer. The only time I dislike that card is when my opponents have Teferi, and yep. it's this weird tension all the time. But on the whole, I think Veil of Summer is covering up so, so many problems for you that I've increased the numbers for the first time in a while. For a long time, my numbers were trending down. I just think it's the cleanest answer to everything that ails you, though. So right now I'm playing three Veil of Summer. That's the highest that number's been for a while for me. Yeah, I like that card a lot. Like like you said, it does solve just a ton of problems. Uh, I, I am slightly worried about... Uh, like the black aggro decks and mono red, especially if they are tuned lists that are very conscious of the fact that Golo exists and is number one. So if if the black decks move towards playing like Legion's End again or playing Ashiok. more flyers, yeah, and sideboarding Ashiok, that's another big one where it's it's kind of weird, right? Where you're just like, all right, one drop, two drop, and then you just play this enchantment where your opponent can't search or whatever, but it really slows them down as far as like being able to like Golos up a field of the dead or use circuitous route. And then they get to start double spelling and stuff like that. And Ashiok is one of the best cards against the deck. I, I think hands down, it is just better than on Mordigo. I am starting to agree with you. I registered Ashiok this week, as opposed to on Mordigo in Love my it. Golos list for the mirror. So I'm going to get to put that to the test, but that is where my, head was starting to go. It's a good way to step around Veil of Summer. You mentioned just having the enchantment set on the battlefield. Do you think there's benefit to activating Ashiok against your Golos opponent? Just getting rid of key search targets or does that matter at all? Yeah, I mean, you're 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 playing the lottery. Uh, I do think that at some point you do want to minus on them. I just don't necessarily think you need to do it right away, especially if you're unclear right. as to what the game state is going to look like. You know, like, what if you Ashiok and they they just, like, naturally have field and some gross spirals, make some zombies, and then they get to pressure your Ashiok easier because you minused, you know? Right. So normally I'll wait for a little bit, and it's not like they can really Golos or Circuitous route out their specific tutor targets. So, yeah, you can you can minus and just try and cut off, like, their field of the deads. Like, if you hit one, cool. Uh, then they just don't have access to that for the rest of the game. Obviously, no argument to, like, oh, you shouldn't minus because... What if their top four cards are all bad or whatever? Like that's that's right, a right, bad right. argument. No, it's all about loyalty. That's the only way you're not minusing. Yes, exactly. I, I find it unlikely that if you are black aggro deck specifically that you have Ashiok and you minus and you know you hit a field of the dead and that that actually matters. You know because that's your your game plan is not to have the game go late and if the game does go late then they're probably beating you anyway with like crisis and stuff like that. Uh, so I really don't think it matters all of that much what you actually hit with Ashiok. But yeah, I mean, obviously there is reason to do it if it is free. You know, if your Ashiok is not under pressure, then you should do it. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, uh, Flyers, Legion's End, Ashiok out of the board for the black decks. And then I like their spot a little bit more, but it, it really all depends, right? Because Golos could then just start sideboarding Devout Decrees and, and things like that. Tolsamir is a thing that I see pop up a little I have bit. a copy of that for this yeah. week. I, I do think there are options out there in the band colors where you can usually find ways to play against what your opponent is doing. I do think hard aggro is the thing I fear the most, but like I said, I think the rest of the format does a good job keeping that in check. And yeah. you you can win those matchups. You can find ways to win those matchups. Yeah, the, the other things that have seemed difficult are fires of invention if they're combo-based. So like Juza's Jeskai deck that has Cavalier of Flame and Cavalier of Gales, mm-hmm. and they can just like combo kill you in one turn. Like if you don't have the correct disruption, uh, in game one, you you basically don't have a lot, you know. So if if they have a good draw, right. you don't ha- you don't have disruption. They can just kill you before you actually get set up. And I played against a couple decks that were just like uh, one of them was Sultai, but I do think that it could work just fine as Demir, where they're going super hard on self mill, and then they had the five mana uh, reanimate that with adamant it did stuff, and then. You could have like Cauldron and then you just get back Lawless Giant and kill you, you know. Mm. Uh, this, the Salt I one had Yurik, so they were just trying to like kill me in, in one one shot, right? And it was right. like, well, I, I need a counterspell, I guess. And then they have a bunch of like duresses and veils and counterspells of their own. So I, I really don't think I can pressure a deck like that quick enough and I don't have enough meaningful disruption. But then things like Ashiok kind of go both ways where, you know, you just get this incidental graveyard hate card against things like that. Sure. But yeah, that's it. I mean, you play against any mid-range deck, it's just a complete joke. You play against a control deck, it's a joke. You need you need some way to go over the top of the Golos deck, which is not easy, and that generally involves a combo kill, or you need to go under, and that's also not easy. Yeah, totally agree with you. I've been impressed with Golos. You mentioned the Fires deck. I think the matchup is fine post-board. I do think they have some edge in game one, but you get good disruption post-board, things like... Ether Gust, Disdainful Stroke, and I still have that one copy of Night of Autumn floating around my sideboard. Can be a little slow sometimes, but on the whole, I think you can play that matchup in postboard games. It's it's game ones that I'm really worried about. What do you want Night of Autumn for specifically? F- Fires was the thought. Cavalcade was the other initial reason I had it in my deck. And uh, I'll be frank, when I put it in the first version of my Golos deck, I was thinking I would play it against Esper. It is horrible against Esper and does absolutely nothing. Okay. I was just completely mistaken as far as that goes. Uh, so I've trimmed copies a, a lot. I went from three copies in my first list to just one copy this week. And at this point, the targets are very thin, but it's it's a very versatile card. You get rebuys with Teferi. You find it a bunch with Once Upon a Time. So I was comfortable still keeping one copy around. Yeah, what about Deputy? I have one of those as well. And okay. they are very similar. I agree. Yeah, I like having two to three copies of Deputy because it uh, can get you out from under a Teferi in the mirror match, can take out a yep. horde of zombie tokens to yep. help you kind of catch back up. Uh, so Deputy has been very nice for me. And then against uh, Red, it's great there because all of their things are one toughness. So it blocks well and then can get rid of Cavalcade or Torbrand or whatever. And they also just don't have a bunch of spot removal. So it mostly lives. But yeah, it's it's just like also a nice roadblock against Mono Black if you want something like that. Yeah, okay. I, I like Deputy too. And... I'm not going to argue really aggressively on this point. I, it's possible one is just better than the other. Obviously, these lists are still coming 
to their conclusion at this point as we figure out exactly what the best card for each slot is. Yep. Well, number two, we have Simic. Uh, give me your thoughts on Simic. I know that before you decided to be a coward and register Golos again, and by coward, I mean smart, obviously, uh, you were working on a Sultai deck, Sultai version of Simic. Why is that? Well, it's basically just Simic with the addition of three Assassin's Trophies in the main, just looking to pick off Field of the Dead and answer problematic permanence on the other side of the battlefield, Fires of Invention. It seems like Assassin's Trophy is a good card right now. I don't like any of the decks it's being played in. And there's very little cost to the efficiency of your mana base in making that change. So all I did was add four Watery Graves over four Islands and four Overgrown Tomb over four Forests. Therefore, I have the same number of untapped green sources for my gooses. Beyond those eight sources, you also have your four Paradise Druid, four Gilded Goose. So you have very reliable access to your black with only three black cards in your deck. It's it's clean. It's an easy addition. And I was mostly pleased with it. I just didn't like the style of games I was playing. And I went instead towards where I felt my strengths as a player lie playing the Golos deck. I was playing some games on stream today against Golos and the game got really long and incredibly, incredibly bogged down. I had ultimated Anissa. I had six animated lands. I had an Oko. I had three goose. My opponent had zombies and the battlefield was just an absolute nightmare, an absolute mess. And at some point I was just like, I am not interested in this game anymore. I don't want to play this. I'm That's opting time out. in the round. Yeah. Active player, please finish that your too. turn. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent that was coming up. So I just didn't like it for my individual playstyle, but I think the deck is phenomenal. Either a version splashing black or just straight Simic. Very clearly tier one. These are the two decks, Golos and Simic, that I think sit atop the metagame right now. It's just good. All your cards are so powerful. It transferred the package of Nissa and Hydroid Crisis over from the last standard beautifully. And it got upgrades all over the place. Like oh, Wicked yeah. Wolf is insanely good. Oko is just a ridiculous, ridiculous magic card. Jerry, that card does so many things. It does everything for three yeah, mana. Much. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Like it's an aggressive beatdown plan. You combine it with a goose early on and you're just using a goose to make more food and you're plussing every turn and you've made an army out of nowhere from your stupid three mana planeswalker that also can just steal your opponent's creatures and negate any powerful abilities they might have shut down big artifacts. It's, it's ludicrous how much that card does. And I think it's an interesting card because it can be very skill testing. It presents you with a lot of decisions. That's all good, but it's too powerful. It really is too powerful of a magic card and it's going to warp standard for a long time. The Simic builds are what take advantage of that card better than anything else. Yeah. With, with goose, uh, in the mix, especially, it's just kind of absurd. I mean, I don't want to dote on this too much, too, but it's like you're talking about all of these things like, oh, it's making an army, it's making food, whatever. It's also just taking up in loyalty while it's doing yeah. all of these things, which is just stupid. That's yeah. it. That's At a preposterous, preposterous number. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the highest Oko you had? I think mine was 15. I've seen like 13 for sure. I, I don't know if I ever reached the lofty heights of 15. One other point I want to circle back to real quick in my Sultai list. I didn't have this card, but because Oko is so good, I think Vraska deserves a look out of the sideboard if you're going to play yeah. something like that. I didn't have it, but if you're interested in this Sultai list, explore that card too. Yeah, I mean, Vraska killing Oko and Teferi is definitely pretty relevant. Uh, yeah. Vraska falls a little bit short of killing uh, a lot of things that do matter, 
And for the most part, you just try and ignore those things. Definitely a pretty solid card. And like she works well with Oko too. Like you just make a food and draw card. You know, you're, you're never actually like falling behind on permanence or anything. So I was pretty happy with Rasco when I had it in my first versions of Saltai Food. I believe that. So why don't you talk about this deck more than I talk about it? Because you've been playing this a lot. I know you're very high on it. You did a deck tech over on our YouTube page about your version of Simic. Tell us what you like right now. Uh, you have all the mana accelerants. You get to play 25 land. Your deck is all rares that uh, are very good at allowing you to use all of your mana every turn. It's very, very difficult to run out of gas and just run out of things to do. So your your deck is like very fast, very powerful, very consistent. And because of things like Wicked Wolf, Oko, uh, even Brazen Borrower, which I kind of like instead of the Assassin's Trophy just because it's it's cleaner, you just have answers to all sorts of things, even though you're Simic. And then your sideboard just has a bunch of counter magic that are arguably the best cards against the Go Bigger decks in the format. You have Veil of Summer, which is the best card against Mono Black and very good in a lot of other situations. So it's it just kind of has it all, you know, unless you're super worried about like, you know, getting planar cleansinged or whatever. It is just so good. Like you get to be this proactive deck that also just feels like you have a ton of agency. I didn't realize this until right now, but this desk, this deck is very Zvi-esque, like 37 yeah. mana sources. Yeah. You and have all this inertia. Matter. Yeah, it, it's crazy. You just have all the mana in the world. And then, I mean, you can even put Nissa in the mix as a mana source if you want to. So now you're yeah. cracking 41 mana sources in your deck. That's the key to efficient play, efficient game plans that are going to do the same thing game after game reliably. This is a very good week one deck, like impressive, impressive stuff from Brad bringing this to fandom. Like I said, it was clear to me this was the best deck in the tournament. People got very excited about Esper, but I knew this was the one that was going to have legs and define the format going forward. You stole his thunder. Uh, Also, yeah, yeah, we, we can also play Once Upon a Time, which I still have not figured out exactly like how much of that card I want and what sort of decks I want it in, whether I'm supposed to be building my sideboards around it, you know, like the card is still very tricky. The one slam dunk is in Golos with Realm Cold oh, yeah. Giant for sure. Uh, I'm yep. playing four copies. I sideboard them out a decent amount because I like all the spells in the sideboard and everything. But obviously when, when that card is at its best, it's incredible. It's, it's probably the best card ever printed. I mean, short of something like Black Lotus, a free five five deep cantrip is absolutely preposterous. And the thing about Golos is that the card is good at all points in the game. Same can't be said of Simic, but I do think it's okay as you get into the later game. Uh, some of the other green decks, I'm passing on it pretty hard. Although the way the Adventures decks are using this card is really cool as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those decks need it just because they lean on Innkeeper so hard. Right. But then, yeah, being able to use uh, Once Upon a Time to find a spell basically just feels busted. For sure. And then in Golos, you get to find Grazer for the early ramp. You get to fix your mana potentially, uh, find a Field of the Dead, find a Wrath in Realm Cloak Giant, find a Reload in Crisis. Like, it just does everything. It's stupid. So good in Golos. Preposterously good. I've seen some lists playing three and it blows my mind. I have never wanted less than four, at least starting. Like you said, I do sideboard them out sometimes, but for your game ones where you're just trying to be like super linear and do your thing, it seems like a clear four of. 
Yeah, you're also a ramp deck where the two mana isn't trivial, right? Because it like goes into Hydroid Crisis and a bunch of other stuff, but it is very low opportunity cost to cast once upon a time on turn six plus. Absolutely. And Ray Sato in the MPL, uh, playing three once upon a times in 29 land in his, his split deck. I just, I don't get it. I don't either. Anyway, yeah, Simic Rate has some of the same problems that Golos does, where if decks are trying to go under it, it's a little tough. And then if decks are trying to go over it, it can also be a little bit tough. But you can do a lot of different stuff to your deck to help mitigate those things. It all just depends on what you think the metagame is actually going to be and trying to nail it, you know? Mm, I'm glad you mentioned that. One of the other reasons I went to black is that I actually wanted Legion's End. I think the adventures decks, particularly green-white adventures, do pose a problem for Simic. They get a little bit wider than Simic can deal with. I bet it's something you can adapt to, but when I was first playing on the adventure side, I was steamrolling Simic really hard. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I definitely believe that. I they do make a lot of tokens. You don't pressure them all that quickly. And yeah. then, you know, they just play Venerated Loxodon or Tristani or Flower Flourish or whatever, and it's lights out. So mm-hmm. I could I could see wanting some sort of answer. I'm just not sure that you necessarily need a splash versus maybe doing something else that you can find in color. Yeah, I didn't find the answer in color. I, I found it out of color. So someone better at deck building than me can go find the correct Simic answer. I'll take the easy way out. Yeah, I mean, if you play a bunch of fights, you can just constrict the resources. So if you go back to playing Voracious Hydra or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you could play... Kill Keeper on site. Yeah, and you could play the Once Upon a Times to find the Wicked Wolves and stuff. You can have something like Disdainful Stroke main deck, which is reasonable against Golos and Fires and Mirror Matches, and then you can just counter their payoff cards for having all the tokens. So, okay. yeah, I think there are a few ways that you can actually try and go about and do it, but uh, one thing I will note is that I have Questing Beast in my Simic deck to help against Golos and their army of zombies. And it's just not that good against the Adventure deck, even though they're just making a bunch of tokens, because they have stuff like Lovestruck Beast to block. Right. Yeah, they find blocks reliably. Invenerated Loxodon and stuff like that. It's just, it's not the actual thing that you want. Like, you do kind of have to, like, lock up the game against them because racing is really tough and Questing Beast just doesn't do it. For sure. All right, next up, let's talk about some exciting stuff. Some Fires of Invention, Jeskai Planeswalkers, Fae of Wishes, that deck is fine. The one that I do think is really good is Cavalier of Flame, Cavalier of Gales from Martin Juza and Stan Sifka and all those folks. And Martin's deck is pretty good. Has an actual combo kill. You know, it's not deterministic or anything, but you just play Fires, play some other spell, and then you go Red Cavalier into some other Cavalier, give them both haste, pump them, whatever, and attack. Because of the lower profile of the MPL, which feels really freaking weird to say, um, I think maybe people are still sleeping on this deck a little bit, but you're exactly right. This is going to have a breakout performance in fandom. There's a bunch of people who registered this deck. I expect people to get their first real look at what it's capable of, and it's capable of a lot. It seems like the best fire shell I've seen Thus far, the Planeswalker stuff was interesting. That's where I actually started in the format, and I was pretty sure I was playing week one of fandom until the last second when I chickened out. But Fires is just a card that has so, so much potential, and people are continuing to build around it, continuing to iterate on it, and the lists just keep getting better and better. And I agree, Martin's feels like a very, very big step forward. Yeah, his his list does a lot of heads-up things where it plays 29 land with four Mm -hmm. Castle Vantress, 
both because you want to hit all your land drops oh, and your three colors. Is so good. It's so good. Such a good card. It's actually become my favorite of the castles, which is not what I expected. Oh, I want to cut it from my Golo stack. Is that allowed? No, absolutely not. You're yeah, crazy. I think we're cutting it. I've I've literally not activated it in like 30 matches. You are you are a drunk. I am prioritizing it over Field of the Dead in many instances. In like control matchups, it's just better than Field of the Dead. So Okay. I don't know. I, I like most normal control decks, I feel like they just lose to a field. So I've just been doing that, but whatever. Anyway, 29 land for Vantress. Also, be careful playing this deck on Arena because Arena will keep your Vantress open at all costs. Yes. Auto Tapper is Auto Tapper is basically dead. We should hold a funeral right now on the podcast for Auto Tapper because between Gilded Goose and Castle Vantress. Press it's F just, right now, wherever you are. Yeah, it's it's just over. Auto tapping is no more. And I, I wish we could find a cleaner solution for our gooses, but things are bad right now. Yeah, playing playing the food stuff online is pretty annoying because it's so many clicks for a program that's supposed to be nice, but yeah, I watched someone today. Uh, they they played Red Cavalier on six mana with three red sources, went to triple pump, and obviously with the last one, uh, they had two Castle Vantresses untapped. <laughs> awesome. Just thought we drew it up. It's like, okay, so yeah, be careful about that. But anyway, 29 land, four castles. Uh, when you have fires, it is really cool to have something else to do with your mana, and you can use things like Kenrith. I think that would be maybe a fine card to have in Martin's deck also, maybe instead of the Niv-Mizzet or whatever. Uh, but okay. the other thing that Martin did that I thought was really cool was three Aethergust main deck, which is kind of a removal spell, but also just like a disruption tool against Circuitous Route, stuff like that. Uh, tags opposing fires. So it does a lot of cool stuff. And we haven't seen a lot of that where people are willing to main deck these sideboard hosers, but I think it makes a lot of sense right now. Yeah, I, we're going to talk about six decks seven decks seven and it's great against five of them so those odds are getting pretty good and the ones it's not great against i think actually have smaller metagame shares than the other one for the most part so it's a gambit for sure but i i really like it and i really like it small field deck building is very different from building for an open absolutely martin certainly recognizes that and i really like it in the context of the mpl Yeah, I do too. Uh, Martin noted that he thought his deck out much worse after you won fandom because he expected a lot more people to play Disdainful Stroke and things like that, that uh, he suffers a lot of splash damage from, which might be true and something to pay attention to uh, if you're, you know, trying to play his deck in Philly or in some PTQ or whatever. You don't want to play a bad something else and you might not want to play like a combo deck that is already a little inconsistent if you are just going to get beaten by popular sideboard cards. So just be aware of that. I mean, his deck can win naturally, just like casting Cavaliers and stuff like that, but it's it's hard mode. Yeah, for sure. And just, just to be clear, I don't think we made this delineation, but you and I see Golo Simic tier one. Now we're in our tier 1.5. We think Fires is maybe a step behind, but has the potential to grow and maybe reach tier one. Yeah, and, and Fires is just kind of a dumb card, and we're it really is we're in the infancy of this. So, also a- as new sets get released, you know, like this this is the type of card that's only going to get better and better. Basically, uh, so, that's so- what blows my mind is we're in the smallest possible standard right now, and how powerful are the cards in standard? They're like sick. They're sick, sick cards, and they're only going to scale as time goes on. 
not only are they all sick, but you have a ton of different options. This this feels yeah. like a very deep format, like a seven set standard at least. I agree. So, you know, I, I shudder to think uh, about how busted standard is going to be three sets from now. But right now I'm enjoying it because five set standard is, you know, kind of boring or has been a lot of the time where it's like you don't have a ton of options, not a lot of stuff to work with. But mm. uh, this is this has been great as far as like deck building. And there's certainly a lot of cool cards and build arounds and stuff like this fires deck. Right. It's just a perfect example. Golos two, where you don't see decks like this very often, especially in standard. And it's fun. It's kind of frustrating at times, but it is fun. Yeah. Maybe maybe try Kenrith in this deck. Maybe or maybe not play Aethergust. Who knows? Uh, this deck can certainly be improved a little bit, uh, but it, it does have a lot of potential. It's very explosive, especially if it draws fires and you're not drawing dead if you don't have it. Yeah, that's the big thing. I've played some fires decks that just absolutely fold. My first Niv-Mizzet deck, uh, I played a four-color fires deck today. If it didn't have fires, it was absolutely unplayable. Right. And you, you just can't realistically build your deck that way. Yep, uh, hard to agree. Next deck, I kind of lump these together, even though I really shouldn't, but I just have it written down as adventures. I think that Selesnia is probably the stronger version, but, you know, we've seen some green, black and some Jund and stuff like that and have those decks be solid. But ultimately the Jund decks are just these value decks and you can't be a smaller mid-range deck. You will get fires, you will get Golos, you'll even get Simic'd, right? So you can't really do that. Whereas Selesnia is just a beatdown deck with a cool engine that contains a lot of bad cards. Yeah, but I think the cards can Voltron together and form something that's actually powerful. I don't quite feel that way about the Jun versions, about the green-black versions. I'm not sure what they're trying to accomplish. If you've taken nothing else away from the last three weeks of podcasts, finally, we're hitting on this point really hard, and I hope people take it to heart. Don't be the smaller mid-range deck, and Adventures very, very much feels like that it just folds to things like Golos and like you said, even Simic. So I like the green white version as a predator for Simic. I think it does a really nice job of that. And I think that could be its role in the metagame. And look, it can just win games against Golos too. It's very explosive. It can come out of nowhere. And if Golos doesn't have its wrath on turn four, turn five, the game's probably over. And that's a fine place to put yourself in to really punish stumbles. But I don't know. The other decks, I'm not quite as sold on right now. Someone's going to have to tell me why they deserve a place in this metagame. Yeah, I mean, presumably uh, decent against Simic with a bunch of removal and card advantage and stuff like that. I mean, shout out to the homies Canister and John Rolf for playing Jund in, or Green Black, I guess, in the MPL split, but not sure how they're actually doing. I'm guessing poorly. Canister is in the top four, I know. Okay. So good, good performance from him taking on. I think there's there's Ray playing the Golos deck. There's Jess playing the Bant. Bant food, and I'm not sure who the fourth person is. There's another Golos is it, deck. Is it Martin? No, there's another Golos deck. Okay, you're this this Jun mid range deck, and the top four is like maybe a good matchup in two matchups that just seem very bad. And God, one other thing I want to touch on is this deck has four duress in the sideboard. What like is it, don't like what, it. What is duress good against? Seems like it should be drill bit. Yeah. In most instances. Right. Yeah. Because if, if you're playing against a deck where you want to side in duress, presumably you're, you know, trying to hit them with some tiny creature, right? 
It's not easy to turn on, but you want to be able to duress their Golos for sure. And occasionally Realm Cloak Realm, Giant. Occasionally Realm Cloak Giant, occasionally Hydra yeah. Crisis. Duress is just not good right now. Drill just, drill bits started taking over in all of my black decks for sure. And same. The thing is we don't know when these deck lists were submitted, right? This could be prior to Golo showing up. Yeah. Well, okay, no. So it, it had to have been Monday, right? Because your fandom was Sunday. And then Martin said he had 24 hours to decide whether or not he wanted to change decks. Oh, yeah. And actually, Hayne played a list that was very, very close to mine. So that would make sense. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't know. I like Drill a bit better. Oh, I do too. I mean, especially all my black decks have Cauldron Familiar and Witch's Oven. So I got the, the easy way to turn on whatever the Rakdos ability is. Yeah, I love the witch's oven setup. I've been very close to registering that deck a bunch of times too, and uh, have dude, not pulled the trigger. Yeah, don't don't do it unless you talk to me first. I got hella thoughts on that deck. I'm gonna have to do a, a deck tech where I'm just like, well, this is you know a solid C plus B minus, but I love it. It's a ton of fun. And here are all the things I learned. I wish it were good, but you know, small mid range deck. Yeah, the the version of the black decks that I've tried have been a little bit more aristocrats based and there Same. was there was a version that 5 would on magic online that looks super weird but i liked a lot of pieces of it so i tried stuff with like cat oven mayhem devil claim the firstborn stuff like that and then i eventually decided that mono black is likely just a, a better version of it mm-hmm. and I, I played a decent amount with that too and there are some things that i incorporated from the mono black list that people have been playing and some things i didn't like the thing I really came to was that without Rotting Regisaur and Spawn of Mayhem and just, you know, these big dopey creatures, your games are just always won by inches. And if you make some slight mistake, you know, like you, you miss out on a point of damage that you could have gotten extra or you don't sequence things exactly correctly, you, you just kind of like lose on the spot. You know, there were so many games I played where it's like, I got my opponent to three and if I didn't blow it, they would have been at exactly zero. And so it's, it's been very enlightening. And I certainly like those moments because you get to learn from them, but it's also just been like kind of frustrating to the point where I'm just like, well, maybe I should just be doing the, the black hit him over the head stuff. I don't know. I, I think these aristocrats decks have a lot of promise. I am less sold on the Registore stuff. It just feels like every time I see that card in play, it's, usually doing nothing at this stage and costing you a lot of resources. And I less, like the pr- the priest Ayara setups way, way better now. Yeah, less Regisaur. I think that's a sideboard card, if at all. But things like Spawn and Mayhem, you know, like... Spawn I, is good. Even even playing Rankle, and it's like mm. Rankle has a ton of power, right? It doesn't really add that much, especially if you're not doing the early game, you know, trying to beat you down stuff. You're playing like Oven into Dreadhorde Invasion or whatever. Uh, and then it's kind of hard for like rankle to close out games too when if your opponent was at 10 it would just be trivial so it's tough well i I will say i think the lists that are hybridizing these two ideas i'm thinking particularly of x files list which is popping around our discord right now and it's an ayara deck it's a priest deck but it doesn't do the cauldron familiar witch's oven stuff and i think that deck is really promising and probably the most powerful version of mono black I've seen it has both Rankle and Spawn of Mayhem on the top end. So it's got some evasion and then just like efficient beaters earlier on, it's doing four Knight of the Ebon Legion and you can actually get some aggressive plans going. So I've been quite pleased with that deck. 
I just think it has some holes and it's not quite aggressive, right? It's closer to a mid-range deck. And then you have the problem of being the smaller mid-range deck and you get wrapped sort once. Of. Sort and of. you need rankle off the top or you just fold and it kept coming up over and over. I will note that with uh, both versions of Aristocrats that I've been trying, both red, black and mono black, I have played some very long games against Golos and just like okay. slowly burned them out. Sure. And like you have a lot of reach. Ton yeah, of reach. Yeah, especially the Mayhem Devil ones. You, you get them to 10 and it's pretty easy. Uh, but even if they're still at 20 or even higher, you know, because of Plaza of Harmony, Hydrocrasis, whatever, you can still just continually pick off their zombies and draw cards with Midnight, Midnight Reaper until you have like the the actual ultimate assembly of things going on. And Mono Black does that to a smaller degree for sure, but like Cat Oven. Uh, with Ayara and or Midnight Reaper is very strong and does allow you to actually go long against them, even if they're sweeping your board. Yeah, it's a real combo. And uh, those games are a lot of fun to play as well. So it, it's easy to see why we, both you and I have been drawn in by this deck. It does a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, I've been loving it. And it's like we play these sweet games and I get them to two and I lose. And it's just like, all right, well, let's make these changes, see how this goes. And, you know, my, my win rate hasn't been bad with it. I probably won more than I lost or whatever, but it's still not quite there and i think the thing that is missing is in the two drop slot it seems to be lacking a little bit of power there but i could also just try playing uh for the two drop flying knights and playing spawns and stuff like that and then having a little bit more power yeah i think order of midnight is actually the way to go that's that's been my conclusion of the two drop slot it seems to be the better option uh black lance paragon is basically off my list at this point not interested yeah. yep trying to think of the other two drop options priest is fine i'm obviously playing priest but order of midnight seems like the most versatile inclusion you can play in that slot and flying matters a lot right now right yeah so i i like priest i like order uh playing some amount of lazatap reavers to turn on the priest is completely reasonable Dreadhorde Invasion is pretty medium, even with Oven, just because like the games aren't really about that. I don't know. I, I want that whole interaction to be good, and I keep trying it. It's like, oh, it came together, but it just like gets broken up or doesn't matter, so I, I have to move away from it. Have you played Orzhov Enforcer? Little bit. I think I had two copies in the Rakdos one, and it was fine. Nothing yeah, special. When I was facing a lot of green, like mono green earlier in the week, I liked yeah. it quite a bit, but as that's gone away, I, I'm basically off it at this point. Yeah, right there with you. But overall, Black has a lot of good cards, a lot of good removal, good disruption, reasonable sideboard options like Noxious Grasp, Ashiok, Disfigure, Drill mm-hmm. Bit, stuff like that. So you you don't have a perfect setup, you know, but you definitely have enough things to have a playable deck. So if people are interested in that, they should definitely check it out. Like you, you will have success with it. This is a deck I'm rooting for as Same. standard goes on. I hope it continues to scale and get nice additions. Yeah. And then uh, two decks left. One is Mono Red Cavalcade. I tried the list with 16 one drops and Torbrand and Cavalcade, all that jazz. And the games where your opponent does nothing and you just nut draw them, you kill them on turn four basically every game. But when they interact with you, it's an absolute nightmare. And now we've seen uh, people. You know, cutting a lot of the one drops, still playing cavalcades, but just going back to playing like Steamkin, maybe Experimental Frenzy, Bone Crusher Giant, just these cards that are good on their own. And that seems like a much better fit. Yeah, I'm off cavalcade at this point. I think just playing Torbrand in good red decks is the way to go. I'm starting to see people 
head down that route. I know Aaron Barish was sitting at number one on ladder playing mono red and more that style, more tour brand experimental frenzy back in the main deck. So I think again, mono red is starting to get figured out, but we're putting these decks. This is our tier two now. Mono red still has some work to do. It doesn't seem to line up all that well against these green decks. They're always going to be problematic as long as they have four copies of Wicked Wolf and Oko and all this life gain. It's not exactly the easiest time to play mono red, but the mono red devotees are starting to get things figured out and starting to make this deck more and more competitive. I keep running into Tulio Jotty on ladder and they're playing this weirdo version with Torbrand and Jaya and there's more ways to do red and there's more ways to scale up and get bigger and bigger and find that sweet spot where it really interacts well with the format. Jaya? And yeah. Jaya. What Jaya? And just the five mana minus do two damage to a target Jaya. And it's also got Dwarven mine just to get additional damage sources for the Tor brand. So it, it really seems to be focused around maximi- maximizing the dwarf and figuring out how to get oh, the most damage out snap. of it. Yeah. Jaya Venerated Fire Mage. I forgot this was a card. It's an uncommon for more of the spark, Good not God. one that really registers. Yeah. So there's definitely tons of space to explore when it comes to mono red. Yeah. The only one I could think of was the Dominaria one. I'm just like, what? What, what is happening? Well, this yeah. is a real card. And you could see why once you have Torbrand, this gets really, really powerful really yeah. quickly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's a hell of a curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think it's similar to the problems I had with the black deck, right? Where it's like, just cut the Mopey card, stop trying to do synergy stuff, and just play good cards. I think so. I think so. But you, you, then you have the green problem, and you need to figure out how you're interacting with Wicked Wolf. And it feels like... Tor brand is a step in the right direction. And I'm starting to feel validated by having that card on my top 10. The first few days I was yeah. a little iffy, but I think if red exists, it's because of that card. It's getting there for sure. Uh, and it's definitely responsible for, you know, like stealing games basically. Oh yeah. And, it just and, does so much damage, so in, much damage. Yeah. And in games you're ahead, it's just comical. Yep. Uh, but yeah. Mono red, uh, just cut the, cut the bad cards, play Steamkin, play bone crusher, play hell Jaya. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. And last and also least we have Esper dance. What, what is your deck name? Something about making them dance. Manson, make them dance and, and pants and stuff like that. I don't know. More. I don't know about the pants. I've heard, uh, Man's Dance Revolution is one I've oh, heard okay. thrown around. That's a not lot. bad. That's not bad. Yeah. People really like renaming this deck. Obviously, the cleanest name is Esper Dance. And a lot of folks shocked when I won the first fandom tournament with this deck. And then three days later, I was like, nope, off it. But to me, this is a deck that gets targeted really effectively. And maybe not even on purpose. I think there's just spells that are getting better and better in the metagame that do a good job of beating up on Esper. I think Bant Golos in particular particular has a favorable matchup against Esper. It's not as lopsided as some people want to make it seem, but it is Golos favored. And it can probably get more Golos favored as time goes on. I didn't respect it. This week, as I moved away from Unmoored Ego, but if you are still respecting Esper, I think Unmoored Ego and Egoing their dance is often quite effective. Yeah, this deck has some home. I just don't know exactly 
what it is. It, I mean, what it did really, really well for me is beat up on unrefined decks. It did yeah. a fantastic job of that and will continue to do that. But as the metagame progresses, I expect decks to get more and more refined. And I don't think there's a lot of positive matchups left for Esper. I think there's a lot of fine matchups. And I think you're rewarded for playing this deck really well. And I think that a bunch of people still don't play particularly well against it. So it is a defensible choice. I would have it in tier two, and I wouldn't be mad at anyone who chose to play it in a tournament. But I don't think it's on the same level as some of these other decks we're talking about. Did you craft Alila on Arena? I did. And then I never played a game with the deck again. I Man. basically moved on to ban at that point. It does seem good to me still. And I've heard positive reviews from people who are playing Alila. So if you want the hot tech, that's what it is. You can sideboard into that. And then you're a little bit more ego immune. And that was my plan for the mirrors mostly. Although I don't know what the representation is going to be like for this deck. It's really hard to tell. I haven't seen much of it on ladder lately, but some people are tweeting at me and telling me how I ruined all of ladder and how magic is unplayable now. So I, I don't really know what to make of that. You can tell me how much Esper you've seen around. It seems like it's on the decline though. I mean, the day after your tournament, it was hella. Right. It was it was like every three matches I was playing against it at least. Well, that uh, makes sense. It's it's the only deck that has like a pedigree behind it at that point, right? Right. And I tried it, and it was the worst two hours of my life. And I want my wild cards back, but I basically have not seen it since then. Like it'll it'll pop up occasionally, but that's about it. And it's very much you know one of the old lists. It's not anything like new or refined or anything. Mm -hmm. Well, I know like Emma continues to work on the deck and she's been winning nonstop and she continues to refine it and add little tweaks to it. So I'm interested to see what she does with the archetype. And there are people who really love this deck that are playing it a lot and reporting really good win rates. So we'll have to see how the archetype evolves and if it continues to hold on to a piece of the metagame. Yeah, she wins a lot with everything. So it doesn't really matter. That is that is true. That is true. I can't deny that. I mean, it, it does matter. But anyway, uh, what what else is there? Is there anything that has... A chance? Are there some sleepers at this point? One thing that I haven't actually worked on was the proliferate deck that I do think could actually be good. Okay. Just, a, just as a beatdown deck. Know. Yeah, that sounds fine. I I guess I just have to think about does it outscale the other mid-range decks? Are, are you a lesser mid-range deck or are you an actual aggressive deck? I don't know if it's quite turning the corner to being one of the aggro pillars of the format. Do you think it deserves that classification? To me, it feels like a turn five, turn six deck where there exists turn four, turn five decks. Yeah, so it uh, it will end the game on like turn five, turn six or whatever. But I do think that you outscale the mid-range decks by having like four six sixes in play. And mm -hmm. uh, you can also do things like play Oko or play Teferi or play both. Uh, I don't know if Evolution Sage is good or Pelt Collector, stuff like that. I mean, I, I would start with Pelt Collector, I think, because I think the space that that sort of deck could occupy is as an aggressive deck. So, you know, obviously I want more one drops or whatever. But yeah, I mean, Oko in the deck is pretty nice, right? Because all your things start with counters and then they get plus three, plus three. And you have this right. stupid Oko with a million loyalty. So it makes life very difficult for your opponent, especially when you're attacking them for 10. Yeah, that, maybe that's the thing that I need to mess around with like next week. I also think this deck will need some resiliency as well. It'll need some insurance against sweeper effects, and maybe Oko is a good way to do that. I don't think it's enough, though. I think you need a little bit more than that built in, and I'm not sure yeah. where to go to insulate yourself. You can do things like Unbreakable Formation, but that card has 
been mopey for a while. Maybe it has a home here if you can really leverage the proliferate and the counters it puts on your creatures. We'll have to see. Yeah, formation's okay. It's, it's definitely not great, but yeah, I don't know if you want to main deck counter magic or if there's a good planeswalker you could play or something that's a threat that doesn't get wrathed or whatever. I don't know. Oko feels closest. I will say that, but gonna I, need more. Yeah, I guess I guess the wolf gets counters, right? So you, maybe you could mm-hmm. just build this as like a goose deck, and then okay. wolf counter proliferate whatever could be a thing. I don't know. I'll have to go through gatherer because obviously this deck is gonna contain a bunch of no 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 no. We scryfall, don't go through gatherer scryfall. around here anymore. We scryfall. go through scryfall. Our favorite deck builder here on the Arena Decklist podcast. Uh, Scryfall.com, not close. It is the best. I feel like an absolute moron for using Gatherer for so long. In my defense, uh, Scryfall has not existed for forever. And I mm-hmm. didn't know it existed for multiple years, but I I knew Gatherer. I was familiar with it and trying right. something new is scary. Now, now I've actually, you know, spent the 30 minutes it took me to learn Scryfall and it's just not close. It does everything, every single thing better. It's it's just better on every single axis. And it has the deck builder too, which you can use to track your deck. And I know that they continue to iterate on what they have, and it's only going to get better and better and offer more and more functionality. And it's really not close at this point. It's by far the best magic deck building tool you can use. Not sponsored, really not sponsored. I just love it that much. Yep, same. Uh, I mean, it would be like, you know, me talking about Red Bull all the time, right? Like, Yep. Love love Red Bull. This is my endorsement. I love Scryfall. That's my endorsement. I it might take a little bit to change the vernacular because I might yeah, just keep saying I, gather, I still do it. But right. if if y'all know us, you know what we mean. We, <laughs> gather does not exist to us. It is dead. Yeah, if we ever say it by accident, just replace it with Scryfall. You know that's what we actually mean. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you think has potential? No, this is really where my focus lies right now. I think everything else is still a step below. That's not to say it can't do anything or it will never exist. There's certainly potential in a lot of cards out there. I'm trying to think what's missing from like my top 10 list that just hasn't found a home yet. Nothing is springing to mind, but I also don't remember my top 10 list off the top of my head. So maybe I'll go back and check that at some point. And we can talk about what's missing presently. Uh, but it feels like everything's coming to fruition really in line with what we've discussed. I'm proud of the work we have done on the podcast over on the YouTube page in the early weeks of this format. I really feel like we've done a good job getting ahead of things and understanding where the metagame is going. So it's just, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but it's nice to feel like you have a handle on a very early, early format. And there's certainly been many formats where I sit down to play and I'm like, I'm just lost. I need to sit here and wait until someone shows me the way. Uh, this has not been one of those formats though. I, I kind of felt like that a, a little bit. And then obviously the fandom tournaments helped, but a lot of it was just like, okay, this deck seems pretty good. Let's move on to the next one. Okay. This one seems pretty good. Let's move on to the next one. So, yeah. A lot of good options. Yeah. It was, it was kind of weird, but I'll take it. To segue into this, we have our question of the week uh, that has to deal with the fact that there are all of these tournaments that have happened before the set is even officially released. And uh, Oppodump, Marowak, and Dubs all asked pretty similar questions. I'm going to read them all, but uh, for those three of you, 
DM me on, on Discord. Give me your name and mailing address so I can get you out some Arena Deckless pins. But uh, Oppodum's question, and you know this might be like statement into question or whatever, but I'm going to say question. I've seen a lot of talk about how the meta moves so quick now because of Arena. A great example is Brian's fandom list on Thursday being great and moving to Golos by Sunday to no idea what to play this week. How can folks who can't spend a few hours every day grinding arena supposed to keep tabs on the meta for paper events like GPs and opens and dub dubs asked, what are your thoughts on so much standard being played before week one and consequently the mythic championship slash pro tour. It seems quite hard these days to find a hidden gem for big events like that anymore. And then finally Marowak, this past week has felt like three weeks have passed with how decks have evolved. Agreed. <laughs> well, Agreed. <laughs> it's your fault. Sorry. I apologize. And they continue. And we only lack an actual paper top eight result to confirm what is otherwise the unspoken metagame with the release of Arena. Do you guys think the standard metagame will get solved faster despite the lack of official publishing of deck list? Brian, you are at the forefront of this. Give me some expertise. Drop some knowledge on me. There are aspects of the metagame that we figure out pretty quickly. And a lot of times it's the poles of the metagame. So I do think all of this playing, all of this discussion leads to finding out what the efficient top end is pretty quickly. Like if you think back to the last course at 2020 metagame, you and I were excited about uh, Flood of Tears for a while. And then it very quickly became obvious that was just invalidated because there was a bigger end game you could do. And that end game was pushed aside. Yep. And that's what really gets hard pinned down so much earlier than it used to. You used to be able to float in the middle for a very long time before the absolute limits of the format got sussed out. That's not the case anymore. They get found very quickly. But because there's so many good cards, everything in the middle changes much more. Go ahead. You have a point. Okay, well, we can circle back to that. I basically want to point out the fact that, yes, in theory, or like technically, and I know technically correct is the best kind of correct, but technically, these tournaments are happening before the actual set release, and the metagame is getting figured out before then, but is it is it different than just, you know, like, the full spoiler dropped, we built decks for two weeks and, like, tested things... Uh, there were, you know, two tournaments or whatever, and now we have a metagame. The first two weeks of the spoiler being out really aren't that much different, or like the first two weeks of there being events. But it's it just- been like five days. Like it hasn't been two weeks. That's what's crazy about it. Like I agree that this is not fundamentally different from what was happening previously. It's just no. that the time frame is so much more condensed. It's not though, because the the full spoiler dropped on either like the last Friday or the last Monday, right? And then there's the streamer showdown on Tuesday, and right. There's, there's Philly this weekend. So from, you know, Tuesday up until Philly, it's almost two weeks of playtime. And that's with multiple tournaments happening happening during the week. You know, so even if you want to say like, oh, it's not two weeks. Well, it's like kind of been two weeks as far as like results and number of results, even though those tournaments aren't large. But there's also just a bunch of people playing on ladder. There's the Arena Deckless Twitter account, which is getting information out there. Uh, so I think it is effectively like two weeks worth of time. I don't know. It used to feel much more spread out. Like there would be the spoiler would drop. There would be the pre-release weekend. 
that was like a week away. And then a week after that would be the first SCG. And the decks at that would be mostly garbage and they would get refined for the second SCG when things really, you started to feel like there was like a handle on it. And then two weeks after that, you would have the Pro Tour and the Pro Tour would really solidify the metagame. Yeah. And all of that is crunched down into like a five-day period after the release now. And that's not to say we're done. There's obviously much more to do. Oh, we're definitely not done. There's no way. I think what it used to be is the Pro Tour set up the tent poles, and then things continue to evolve from there. I'm thinking of like, I wish I had the time frame better on this, but there was like a green-white deck that was popularized by Kibler based around Den Protector that did like okay... I think it did well at the Pro Tour, but he was the only one playing it. It was below the radar. And then the GP would happen the next week, and that would be the deck. And now all of a sudden, okay, now we know what the format is. We pulled the best deck out of the PT, and that's what's going to push things forward from this point. And I don't think it really takes that long anymore. I think there's a very good chance that the decks that head into the PT will be very refined among the best decks in the format. And then there's weird little wrinkles along the way. And occasionally, like we saw with Kethis, maybe there's still a breakout left. But I think that's going to be the exception rather yes, than the rule. I agree with that. And so I agree that the Pro Tour is no longer like the thing that solidifies it. The metagame is going to be solidified going into the Pro Tour. And the Pro Tour is basically not going to provide anything new, right? It's like, yeah, yes. you know, maybe there will be some tweaks. Maybe there'll be like a new archetype or whatever. Uh, but realistically, all this stuff is just like, sped up by a week's time and the events are different where the pro tour is no longer the thing solidifying it. It's arena and maybe the last SCG open before then or whatever. Uh, so things feel different, but it's, it's really not, you know, like they, they could also just like move the pro tour up at this point and then it would be back Seems to the like same. Yeah. Uh, I mean, probably. Yeah. I mean, for for the PT to be like the marketing device for the new set, I think they are doing a bad job of it when all of the discovery is gone by the time the PT rolls around, right? But yeah, it sh- it should be this weekend, right? Like, isn't that the best time for it? Yes, but they also did not name the Pro Tour like PT Throne of Eldraine, right? So right. they're they are potentially trying to move away from that, or did not feel like it was as effective. Uh, so I. Th- think it, it, they're not shooting for that anymore, which is fine. That's just strange though. Like from our perspective, right? Like we know our numbers. We know what content gets people most hype. The thing that gets people most hype is release week. Like what we're doing right now, this is the period that people are here for, that they're really voraciously consuming content. And I think it would probably be the same with the PT. I, so- I don't know why it wouldn't be. That is true for our audience, and I think that the majority of our audience would be interested in a Pro Tour happening in that time frame. However, I do think that there are also a lot of people who watch the Pro Tour who don't give a shit, who aren't our audience. Okay, that is true. Right? Like but, we, I we, mean, we, our, our weekly listener audience is like prior to Mythic Invitational numbers, like our weekly listener audience is on par with the total number of people that watch the pro tour. Yes. So go get our audience. Like you definitely want our people involved in this. Like you say it, like it's a small fraction of what their current viewership is, but it's, it's really not like that's a significant number of people who would be, I think enticed by the immediacy of the pro tour. Yeah. I mean, I, so I think, there is probably a large percentage of our audience who watches the pro tour for some amount of time. 
And mm-hmm. there are obviously a lot of people who watch the Pro Tour after the fact because they have things going on, you know, during the weekend or they have to work or whatever. So I don't know, like 70% of our audience probably tunes into the Pro Tour at some point. And if nothing yeah. else, like they're, they're poking around looking for deck lists, right? The Pro Tour, as far as total eyeballs, gets more than that, like probably double that, if not triple, between like YouTube and Twitch and all that stuff. Yeah, total eyeballs for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they have our audience, I think. They have the majority of it for sure. And then they have this other 50% of their audience that just doesn't care when the Pro Tour happens. They just watch it no matter what because Wizards does an okay job of making them aware of the fact that this is an event that they're supposed to be watching. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, it worlds. just seems like pretty... Yeah, they different don't do than it. Worlds. <laughs> different than Worlds. <laughs> it just seems like pretty big upside and I don't see a lot of downside really to having it happen that early. And it seems more exciting for me, but maybe that's just, you know, putting my own personal preferences ahead of what's actually best and what actually matters. No, I agree with you. I I would just try and blow it off the hinges, right? It's like, yo, here's the trailer. Okay. Here's preview season. Okay. Here's the pre-release. And then it's like, boom, here's the PT. You get to watch the MPL, whoever the hell they are play in this tournament with these new cards, you know? Yeah, uh, I, w- I would just try and like bang, 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 like five weeks in a row, uh, just continually keep people engaged. And then obviously, like there's an arena release in there somewhere where it's like, now you get to play with the stuff that the pros did, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, I-, I think that would be huge if they just tried to do it like that. But instead, it's like, all right, here's the video. Here's some previews. All right, take a week off. Okay, here are a couple previews. Take a week off. And then it's like, oh, my God, here's like a week of all these streamer events and tournaments and the arena release. And then, okay, let's cool it down. Take another couple weeks off. All right, here's the pro tour. It's just like the the timing does feel a little off or like inconsistent. It's like bad pacing. Well, it extends things out longer, right? It's like you're describing something that takes place over many, many weeks. And I can see the upside of that. Like you don't want a hype burst. You want a consistent flow of hype you want to keep hype going for as long as possible right but i think that's one thing a week you know not like letting them take two weeks off or just jamming streamer event plus arena release in into the same week i think like i mean maybe that's necessary but i don't know Hmm. it's it's interesting we we are so far afield of this question at this point so why don't we come back around to how does someone who's playing paper magic do they have to do the same dance that you and i have been doing over the past five days my overall premise was that things are effectively the same as they used to be except it's happening on different platforms uh but roughly still in the same time frame so tournaments are not like metagames are not getting set at scgs and then uh, solidified at the Pro Tour. They're getting set on Arena, solidified at SCGs, and then the Pro Tour is like, oh, look at these good people play these decks that you already knew existed. Okay. So, so where does that leave someone who's headed to Philadelphia this week? Can they be comfortable playing my first Golos list? Because let's be honest, there's card availability issues. There's people who are like, they want to lock in their deck a week before a tournament. That's the way a lot of people approach Magic. And... I think our listeners probably trend to people who will update the day of, but I would still estimate like 50% of our listeners know their deck more than a week in advance before they play a tournament. Well, listen to this podcast, find out what we think is good. If you have two options, pick the one that you like the most or that we think is best. If you have the option and the capability and the range to switch decks on a whim, 
probably play Golos. If you are someone who has a job and or a family and or like doesn't want to test or whatever, I mean, there are a ton of resources out there. There are streams, there's our podcast, there's the Arena Deckless Twitter account. Like you can keep up to date with things maybe without playing yourself. I mean, I think you have to play some amount to get like a feel for the games and how things go, but there's so much content out there nowadays that I don't think it's that tough to actually keep up. But as far as trying to plan around like, you know, what deck you're going to play with what cards you buy and stuff like that, if you have to buy them a week out, like, I don't know, that seems tough to me, but I think that you just try and look for something that has longevity at that point where you can look at right. something like Brad Simic deck and you're like, this is a bunch of busted cards. I could probably just get this deck and have it for the entire season. And it would be fine. Yeah, I think that's a good approach. And I will also say that like, if you're listening to this right now and you're hearing us answer this question, our goal is essentially to shortcut this whole process for you. Like what we bring to the table in this hour, hour and a half every week is meant to be the distillation of us having spent the last seven days thinking about this nonstop. So there may be some steps that we don't lay out along the way, but when we're here saying like, we think Golos and Simic is the best deck, we didn't choose that out of a hat. That's the 40 hours of playtesting that you wish you could have done distilled into this hour podcast for us to reach that conclusion. And that doesn't mean we're always right. Like tons of people make mistakes, no matter how much time you get to invest in it. But we're trying to give you a shortcut where maybe you can just rely on what we're getting to and be like, okay, I think I can, I can trust these fools for this one event. Yeah. And I mean, I, we, we put our money where our mouth is, you know, like we're both effectively registering Golos this week. Mm-hmm. And we do think it's the best. And, you know, granted, I'm not playing the, the standard seat in Philly. But you're, you're in the legacy seat? Yeah, I'm in legacy. What are you playing in legacy? Uh, probably band control. But I thought about playing team or Delver just because I think I have a good list and I think it would be good. Okay. I just got legacy into the podcast two weeks in a row. Yeah. By the way. Look at you. Uh, nice. but basically, I get to play legacy and not ever be on camera. So playing around it. Sounds good. Sounds safe. But also my deck has no win conditions, so I might just end up on camera no matter what. Uh, I know that game. I'm going to play fast. Don't you worry. You'll play faster than me. I'll give you that. Yes, I can. I can do that. I am confident that I can do that. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, so like Dubs is talking about, oh, it's hard to find hidden gems. Well, kind of. I mean, you don't find them at the Pro Tour. You find them two weeks earlier on Arena or when you play in fandom, you know? Like right. Gol- Golos was not on a lot of people's radars until you kind of brought it back. Right. And you could say the same about Esper. I think I, I thought it was on more people's radar. I was prepared to play a bunch of mirrors, but I, I think that these hidden gems are now just de facto meta decks and that squeezed a little bit tighter. And like we said, there's still potential for something else to pop up. I think Kathis will be the shining star of that. The very, very late, in the format combo deck that just came out of nowhere and absolutely dominated. And I wouldn't expect that every time, but it can happen. So it's always worth keeping your ear to the pavement. Yeah. And then Marowak asked with the release of arena, do you guys think the standard metagame will get solved faster despite the lack of official publishing of deck lists? I mean, it really hasn't. We, we publish hella deck lists. I don't think it necessarily has to be official, right? Like I don't care if a deck went three, two, four, one or five. Oh, I want to look at the deck list that has been mildly successful so that I can find ideas, right. Mm-hmm. And integrate that into how I'm building decks and use that to help shape the metagame and everything. And we're posting a bunch of ideas, you know, like you, you have access to everything. 
arguably more so and in a more timely manner than waiting for Magic Online to refresh and show their results from three days ago or whatever. Right. And people assign way too much value to a 5-0. And I understand why. It's like what gets you the trophy. But any random 5-0 is not really worth all that much in most circumstances. There's a lot of uh, suboptimal players. There's a lot of suboptimal decks on Magic Online. And that can always create a 5-0. And then there's just like, that's still a really small sample size. In the same way that I'm sitting here saying like, don't make too much of my two first places. Although yeah. the second one I actually think was a good deck. But in the first instance, I'm saying the best deck in that tournament was not the deck that won the tournament. Like pay attention to something else. Right. And you need to apply some critical thought to really get to that conclusion. Yeah. Uh, 5-0 to me is just like, okay, we need an arbitrary cutoff point to justify posting this. And I think that's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, but 5-0 to me doesn't necessarily mean that it's better than the decks that went 4-1. and one. We just don't have access to the 4-1s, and ones, and I don't care because I'm just looking for information anyway. And like you right. noted, yeah, there are going to be bad players. A lot of people are migrating from, or, or from Magic Online to Arena, so there's like a smaller player pool on Magic Online. You can make the argument that it makes the player pool stronger or worse or uh, more high variance, you know? where it's like maybe you play some super weak players and then you play like four people that are just stone cold killers. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot more ham sandwiches on Magic Online than I have before Arena came out and before they combined the leagues because they were lacking players and stuff like that. Yeah, and look, this isn't to disparage Magic Online players. There's a lot of great players still just playing Magic Online, but the best players, like the MPL best in the world players are all playing their standard on arena at this point. So that, that aspect of the metagame has at least migrated across to a new platform. Again, not to say there's not very, very strong players still playing standard on magic online, but it is that very top tippy top tier has certainly moved over at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So take your information from where you can figure out how to actually distill it down to information that is valuable, which I mean, we're, we're supposed to kind of be helping with that, you know, just like by explaining how to do that and explaining our thought process for things. And hopefully you can uh, absorb some of that. But I don't know, maybe we also just need to do uh, a bigger show or video on stuff like that, where it's like, okay, we're looking through this deck dump. What are we looking for? Why does this thing speak to us? Blah, blah, blah. And we've kind of done that with the deck dump episodes. You get to see that happening like in real time, but maybe it's not as heavy handed as it needs to be. Well... If that's the case, listeners, let us know. Let us know what you need from us. We'll give it to you. Whatever you need, we're here. Yeah. Someday when I'm bored or maybe I'll just get very curious or something, I want to go through uh, the questions channel in our Discord and just look at the things that are super, super common FAQs and just answer those. Do a video on those because we need a, a place to point people you know, some sort of resource knowledge base type oh, thing. That's, that's an incredible, incredible video. Let's do that next time we get together to make some YouTube content. I think that's a great idea. We'll pull up our we, FAQ list and just jam them out. Yeah, I mean, it's going to require a lot of like work uh, before we actually get together. But I'm, I'm down to jam this out by next week sometime. Nice. Sounds good to me. That's game.
luck.